All right, Mike, we have a bunch of questions for you. You know, I want to talk a little bit about the books you've written. I want to talk more about your radio program. But we want to get into some questions about ministry. This is a big question for believers, especially as they're trying to find their way through figuring out what's my place in the church. And obviously, your heart is to raise people up, train them up, and to multiply, right? Discipleship, teaching others what we've received, as Paul talked to Timothy about. But Mike, how does someone know if they're called to full-time vocational ministry? Obviously, we're all called to minister, to serve in the church. We all have a part in the body. But when it comes to like full-time vocational ministry, how would you encourage someone to go about finding out if that's what they're called to do? It's so great to have you here with us on the Living Water Podcast. We love you all so much. Thank you for being here. No idea what doing. <laughs> How was that? <laughs> yes, friends, as we told you on the previous podcast, we're doing a series of podcasts where we interviewed people at NRB. This one in particular went longer than we thought because it was so fascinating. It was with our dear brother, Mike Fabares, and it went like 55 minutes. And most of our podcasts are like 45. So that's why I'm being real quick here. We I love, I've loved your introduction because I've been listening to tapes, uh, double speed lately, and it's really, really good. Listening <laughs> yeah. to the videos. Like, yes. You adjust after a while. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Move but, uh, but yeah, Mark, Mike Fabares, you're familiar love with him. You've heard him speak oh, yeah, at our church course. at Kindred. Yeah, compasschurch.org, I believe his website is. Uh, we recommend his teaching. He's here in sunny Southern California. Yeah, and they've planted a number of churches. And yeah, we talk about all that on the podcast. Real quick, here's a comment from Franzen who says, dogs don't fly. <laughs> Jesus equals love. Quite enjoyable. I'm thankful for how the videos and the episodes help one to feel encouraged and reflective. Amen. Thank you for that, Franzen, who says dogs don't fly. And don't forget to check out Friends Tough Questions DVD course, where we answer questions like, who made God? Why is there suffering and evil? How can the loving God send someone to hell? Isn't the Bible filled with contradictions and a whole lot of other things? The Evidence Study Bible and the Living Waters podcast, Mogs at livingwaters.com. Without any further ado, man, that was fast. Here is Mike Fabares. So we're here at the NRB convention here. It's a bit of a circus, as you can hear, friends from all around. I mean, literally, all sorts. there's jugglers right behind me. I think I had SpongeBob almost bump into <laughs> me earlier. It's kind of like that. But one of the highlights for me is the fact that we get to sit down here with our brother Mike Fabares, Pastor Mike Fabares, Doctor Pastor Mike Fabares. Any more titles in there, Mike? Bishop. I po- I'm aiming for the Pope. <laughs> yes, the Pop Pontiff. It. The yeah. Pontiff is here with the us. The Pontiff. Vicar. I prefer Vicar. Yeah, uh, I'm excited because. It's good Mike. to start my interview with blasphemy, isn't it? Just <laughs> to start out. We gotta get, I, you I'm gotta a Protestant. Him, you got to give him some expectations. <laughs> a, a Protestant preacher. We so. got to get creative somehow. But Mike, one of the reasons why I'm so thrilled to sit down with you is not only am I excited about your ministry and what God is doing in and through it, not only am I blessed by the friendship that the Lord's been developing between us and partnership and ministry, we'll get to that, but it's been a delight for me because God has used you to directly minister to my beloved cousin, yes. Nancy, and her oh, husband, Matt. So great. Yeah, they were at our house uh, maybe eight years ago. They had just moved to Liso Viejo, the area down there, and they're looking for a new church. And so I jumped on, looked up Compass, because I was familiar with you as, you know, I'm at Kindred Community Church, and you've been there and spoken, and so found Compass and uh, said, man, it's seven miles from your house. And so they've been there ever since, and it's been such a blessing to see how God's been using them there and building them up there at the church. Well, it's great. It's been great to have them. They're in church discipline right now, which is a sad thing. <laughs> well, so, if they're in Easy's family. Yeah. That's not a surprise. Well, that's that if we can get over that hump, we'll be fine. But, <laughs> yeah. No, they're a blessing to our church. We love them so much. Oh, Mike, great. for a, a point of reference, when, when did you, you, you're the founder of Compass Bible Church, that's I believe. Right. And uh, when did you guys start and where you're at today? We started about 17 and a half years years ago. Yeah, we, it was a rolling start, and we had a, a good little core group, and uh, it's God has been gracious, and it has grown, and so, um, yeah, we're, we're busy planting churches, and we've kind of just gobbled up a, a business park. It's not a cathedral. It's a lot of tilt-up buildings. It's not as pretty as Kindred Church, but it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it works, 
And we've got about 100,000 square feet of, of space. We've got a, a, a college now, Compass Bible Institute, training people to maximize their giftedness for work and ministry. We've got a radio ministry. We're planting churches. We've uh, just planted a brand new church in North Dallas this okay. summer. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. I know you guys have some churches in Southern California. Where yeah. else, for our listeners, where else could they expect to find a Compass Bible Church? Well, the first thing I should say, they're not campuses, as a lot of churches just kind of putting the pastor on a screen. Right. I want to make sure if I get hit by a bus that all these church plants will have their own leadership, their own pastor. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, we've got, we started in Huntington Beach. That was our first church plant. And we've done some international, Guatemala City, Amon Jordan. But domestically, we started in Huntington Beach, and that's thriving. Then in Tustin, California, not far from where we're at, between our churches. Right. And then uh, we started out of state because we looked at the mass exodus of people leaving California, and we said, well, where are they going? Yeah. And they're going to these places that the, the population is just exploding. And even if the good churches in those areas that are preaching the Bible, even if they were to, to double time it, can't keep up with the growth. Right. So we targeted those areas. Went to the Treasure Valley of Idaho in, in Boise, and we've got a church there that's thriving now. Great pastor, great pastoral team, multiple services, and, and they're doing great. We went out to Texas, and one of the fastest growing areas in Texas at the time was New Braunfels outside of San Antonio. So we planted there. We got them in a building, got them situated, and uh, they're thro- thriving and growing. And the most recent one this summer is in North North Dallas. It's way up in what they call North Texas. McKinney, oh, yeah. uh, Prosper, yep. yeah. right there, Frisco. Nice. So um, that's just, it, it's growing. They say it's going to grow by like 3 million people in the next oh, uh, that, 8 that to 10 years. that area is exploding. It's exploding. Our good friend Emilio Ramos is out in the area, and it's it's been growing like crazy. You know, Mike, we want to talk to you a little bit about church planning, but I had the opportunity to go and visit your church recently. Uh, you know, I'm going to be speaking at the Adult Bible Fellowship, our brother Kellen there. Yes. Such a dear brother. But uh, I was blessed to see the Compass Bible Institute. I got a tour of it, and I was radically impressed. I mean, you guys are serious about training people up. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, in the late 19th century, there was an explosion of what were called Bible Institutes. Yeah. And they saw themselves as serving a gap between whatever training you could get in church and then what, like, the seminaries were doing. Most of these Bible Institutes developed into something else, you know, like the Bible Institute of Los Angeles became Biola, and they became like normal universities. Cities. And uh, you'd go there and you'd, you could train for whatever you wanted to do in life. Yeah. But the real niche where these started, I had a passion for this. I read a lot about it. I just love the concept of how, how do you take a guy who just wants to be maximally useful in the church and uh, give him more training than just saying, hey, take notes on a sermon here or go to Sunday school and see what you can learn. But tests and books and papers and how can you get them to really have a competency in doing whatever they're called to do in the church? Yeah. And so that's what we set out to do. It's kind of really in the spirit of the great Bible Institute movement of the 19th century. And uh, we said, let's just recreate that and try and do that. So we've got about four different key target audiences. And one I'm happy to talk about briefly is we just announced uh, this last month what we're starting in the fall next year. Because this was part of my vision for this is to have a gap year program, one year where you can send your 18-year-old before he goes to his university oh, to get his nice. dental degree yeah. and learn you know, Christian worldview, apologetics, uh, Bible survey, Bible study methods, hermeneutics. And then we end the first semester with a trip educational trip to New England to study uh, the history of America and the Great Awakening, and then they come back for another semester on campus, and then we send them to Jerusalem to study for a a month. And so we've got it all set up, and we're going to launch it a year from now, and we're going to see if we can get parents to do what I think, and I I, I know this is a big statement, do the right thing by not (laughs) sending their kids off to college without grounding them first in a more formalized training where they're getting good education about what they believe and why they should believe it. Two questions real quick. That is a one, all, all of that in one year? One year. That's an incredible year, let yeah. me just say. Yeah. Well, we uh, need it. Yeah, I, yeah. I 100% agree. Uh, second question is the, the Bible Institute, is that in Southern California near you? Yes. We bought a building right across the street from okay. our church. And that's what you were just saying you visited. Yeah. And that is, you know, a place where we've just said, let's just see if we can invest in a place that will not only train our, our gifted leaders in the church to be more effective and other 
churches that want to send their leaders, but let's take our young people and get them prepared for adult life. Yeah, that's great. And so that gap year program all takes place right across the street from our church. <laughs> the reason why I asked that second question is because I think Bible Institutes have a very important role to play developing a pastors of the future. One of the things that I've noticed in seminaries is that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes students will go off for an education, but they'll do four years of no discipleship because they're disconnected from a church and they're just there going to school. How important is it to have these Bible institutes connected to a local church? What I guess the question is, what happens when we stop discipling and only educate pastors? How is that a problem? 100%. It's a gigantic problem. As a matter of fact, if you go back to the history of the Bible Institute movement, like when Reuben Archer Torrey came out to L.A. from Chicago, he was the president of Moody in Chicago. He comes out to L.A. He said, I won't take the leadership of this nascent institute, this Bible Institute of Los Angeles, unless it's connected to a church. And so they actually started the church, right, in L.A., Church on the Way became, he had to say, this is a laboratory. You don't just learn in a classroom. This is really, in some of the early working titles of these institutes were like a training, a worker's training institute. It was all about making sure that you learn something in the classroom and you immediately put it into practice within the context of a local church. So the reality of church being connected to school is essential. I mean, how can I teach someone to do, like, uh, one of our tracks is on uh, being a certified biblical counselor. How are you going to do that if you're not involved in the church and dealing with people's lives? Or we say, well, you want to learn to teach the Bible. I went to traditional seminaries. They had no idea whether I was a good preacher or not. And that little 10-minute thing you did in class (laughs) and homiletics, I mean, no one knew if I was any good at it. Well, in a Bible institute, a traditional old school Bible Institute, you're going to go into a real situation where you got a hundred people sitting there and they're coming to church and here comes this guy who's in training and they find out whether he's gifted or not to do this. And the great thing is we're not in it like a university where we just want to make sure everyone's checked you know, clears and, and, and we fill our classrooms. We, we don't have a problem coming up to someone and saying, hey, we don't think you're gifted for this. Right. Yeah. We don't think you should be a pastor. That's good. So we don't think you and, and it's not just about pastors. It's about counselors. It's about Sunday school leaders. It's about even, we got small group leadership track. Yeah. Like how to lead a small group. I mean, yeah. you've all seen bad small group leaders. Oh, sure. Right? So we want to make sure you know how to do yeah. it. And yeah. on top of gifting, real, real quick, on top of gifting, one of the other things being known and loved and dis- discipled in the local church is that it's not just about gifting. It's also about fruitfulness. Are they growing to be more like Christ as they grow to learn to become disciples? Because often there's a gap between someone's gift and someone's fruit, and that can be a devastating effect on the church. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, Mike, I love the gap year concept. One of my favorite words in the English language is the word provident. Thinking ahead, planning before you reach a certain destination. And the thought of young people graduating high school, as much as we may have equipped them at home before that, and hopefully we have as parents, even if we homeschooled them, even if they were a part of a Christian school, oftentimes they're not going to be ready for the barrage of godless philosophies that they're going to be inundated with when they hit the university level. And so that idea of, hey, take a gap year, get rooted, get equipped, and then go out, not just in a uh, sort of passive sense, but even in an offensive sense to go out and to proclaim the gospel and be light as well on these campuses. When did you guys come up with that idea? We love to give things away. We love to give things away. And that's why we will do that every single day here on the Living Waters podcast. That's right, friends. We're giving away goodies for those of you who go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form. We are giving 10, believe it or not, 10 different people each week goodies from Living Waters, $100 value for each box. You'll get tracts and books and the podcast mug and all kinds of good things. So make sure to participate at livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. And make sure to listen to the very end of the podcast where you will hear the announcement of the winners every week. Well, it's always been what I call a back page prayer request in my prayer book. And it's been there for years. And I just finally got to the place where we planted enough churches where we kept saying, where are we going to find all the youth guys and the associate pastors? And, you know, we need a training center to, to do that. Well, that, that just perfectly comported with my prayers yeah, over the years. Right. And we had an opportunity. 
and, and literally the building across the street was the key. Awesome. I got a call from a guy who works in the building and he said, and he goes to our church, he said, Pastor Mike, this building across the street from your church is not on the market yet, but I know it's going to be for sale. Do you want to talk to the owner? And it was like, this is an open door right yeah. here. And and we needed the space. We were maxed out in our church space, and this was perfect. And yeah. you've been there. You've seen it. We've got oh. a library. We've got study halls. We've got yeah. classrooms. Well, it's you awesome. know, this is another thing. It's kind of a side note, but it's it's relevant. It grieves me when Christians don't do things with excellence. When I walked through that place, just from an aesthetic standpoint, and, and you know, that could be frivolous and it could be vain, but it wasn't in connection with what you guys are doing. This place is set up with excellence. I'm excited to hear about the fruit that's going to come from it. When you mentioned uh, Christians, being grieved by Christians that don't do things with excellence, I thought you were going to reference the shirt Eddie Roman decided to wear today. I was going to reference you, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I was trying to be humble. Eddie didn't even have a collar. <laughs> you got to pay this guy more. That's true, actually. <laughs> wow, Oscar, look at that. He chimed in on us. <laughs> All right, Mike, we have a bunch of questions for you. You know, I want to talk a little bit about the books you've written. I want to talk more about your radio program. But we want to get into some questions about ministry. This is a big question for believers, especially as they're trying to find their way through figuring out what's my place in the church. And obviously, your heart is to raise people up, train them up, and to multiply, right? Discipleship, teaching others what, what we've received, as Paul talked to Timothy about. But Mike, how does someone know if they're called to full-time vocational ministry? Obviously, we're all called to minister, to serve in the church. We all have a part in the body. But when it comes to like full-time vocational ministry, how would you encourage someone to go about finding out if that's what they're called to do? Yeah. Well, it, it, you can watch American Idol and you can see a lot of people that want to be singers yeah. and their parents go, yeah, you'd be great at this. <laughs> and, and, and they're not. I mean, I don't know if they still do that. I haven't seen the show for years. It's but, still going. But, you know, the idea of you saying, well, I think I want to be in ministry professionally, that really means very little to me. It's part of it, but it's like one small part of it. And, and I know that comes from, you know, First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. If you desire the, the work, that's a noble thing you're, you're desiring. But the reality is you've got to look at so many other things. Of course, there's character requirements within Titus and Timothy. And there has to be an engagement in something that shows that you have an endowment from God that makes this productive. Yeah. That's going to come from seeing a giftedness that works out where people say, hey, you're trying to help the church. Your help is helpful. Mm. And I know a lot of people say, well, I want to help the church and I want to do it more and give me more time and more opportunities. And it might be, well, your help is really not helping us, yeah. right? You know, playing the accordion, you know, before communion, it's not helping us right now. It, it, you just got to realize that your help is helpful. And that's that's going to come from pastors that already are doing the work, congregants that are receiving the work that you're doing, and, and a sense that you're affirmed that God has gifted me to do this, and I'm qualified, and I have a desire to do it. Like, all those five things have to come together, and I think you always need people that are coaching and affirming the way through it. Yeah, I, Mike, I, real quick, uh, can we talk about this guy that's playing the accordion during communion? Yeah, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I, I, I always picture that. What in the world? I did have a guy once say, can I play the accordion in the worship group? I'm like, well, you have to talk to our worship yeah. director, but I'm, I'm thinking the answer is going to be no. We have a polka uh, ministry. <laughs> that's, the, that's the polka church. Right, right. Well, I love the fact, Mike, that you said earlier that you guys don't hesitate to tell people, hey, you really shouldn't be doing this. And that's the major disservice that's going on in the world today. Like you said, American Idol. And nobody cared enough about that guy to tell him, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. How much more important you know, is it in the church, obviously? should be of maximal importance. Think about it. What's more important than someone leading in, in learning the Bible? I mean, that's what ministries, everyone's got to be apt to teach. Yeah. If you can't do it well, if you're not gifted by God to do it. So fruitfulness is important. And discipleship means it's not you just sitting around by yourself figuring this out, or you even learning in a book or going to a class. It's someone putting their arm around you and saying, let me help walk you through this process. I just think we've got to have that kind of one-on-one -on -one counseling through education where people are mentoring you to decide where your place in ministry is. Yeah. yeah. I also think real quickly here that we need to have a better understanding of theology of work. The problem is that, you know, in the 1500s, the Roman Catholic Church made the work of the priest sacred and everything else secular. And something that we forget that was a part of the Reformation is that they sought to, to remind us that all of the work that we do that is glorifying to God can be sacred, which of course there's this, the, the famous story of 
a uh, shoemaker writing, you know, Martin Luther a, a letter saying, hey, how can I make shoes to the glory of God? Or what can I do to the glory of God? And his response was simply, make excellent shoes. And yeah. so for some of these young men that feel the call to glorify God and all that they do, maybe it's not full-time vocational ministry, but that doesn't mean the work that you are called to do is not sacred, whether it's sacred work of picking up chairs and putting them away after services, whether it's sacred work of going and being an electrician Monday through Friday and then serving your church on the weekends. That is also sacred work that God calls us all to do. Let me comment on that because if you think about the the Reformation, part of the legacy of that is even the word that is trickled down into our vocabulary about your job. They talk about a vocation, right? Right. Like a vocational counseling. Vocation, right? That word is calling. Mm -hmm. That's what it it is in Latin, a vacae, to call. And, and God has called us to be a plumber, an architect, or whatever, if that's where we find that we are maximally helpful to the good of society and we can glorify God in the work. Amen. Now, the things I can't do to glorify God, right? I, I, I can't be a pimp or, you know, a drug pusher, right? But there are so many things that we can. And we've got to see that. The, the clergy, like, laity divide of the pre-Reformation world was a disaster because yeah. people thought, well, I'm not living for God here. Yeah. They're living for God in the monastery. And that's that's a big mistake. And so, yeah, we need to re- re- make, let people know. And that's why the Institute is so helpful because it's not just, and you said it earlier, I just, by accident, it maybe slipped out of your mouth, that this is training pastors. Well, it does train pastors, but that's not what the Institute is for. The Institute is for not only people that are going to go on to be pastors, but most of the people are not. They're going to find their usefulness in apologetics, Christian worldview, by their going to their office every yeah, day. That's good. By, wow. by cleaning, you know, the, the toilets as a janitor somewhere. That's fine. It's that we're training you and getting you ready for that. Amen. Yeah, you know, back in the day when I was at one of those original institutes, Biola actually, uh, in my Christian thought class, one of the most helpful things that I learned as a new believer was the whole concept of integration versus compartmentalization. And that as believers, we can integrate the Lord into every aspect of life. And that really is the the revolution that transforms lives when we grasp that as believers. Right. And and look at Eddie Roman over here without his collar on. (laughs) We couldn't do this without him or someone like him gifted to do or the guys who made this microphone or the people that bottled this water or the people that made that that iPad. But we need Christians that see everything as we're doing this to utilize the mandate of exercising dominion over this created world to try and channel this for the good and glory of God. If people can think that way, now plenty of people are making water bottles and iPads without ever thinking about that, but Christians that are, right, you start turning those dials, Eddie, for the glory of God, it it, it elevates everything, right? It it becomes uh, an act of worship, which is what Luther and Calvin and everyone else was trying to get people to see. Exactly. Yeah, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Absolutely. Did you just come up with that? Yeah, just on the spot. It sounds like Bible to me. <laughs> so, all right, Mike, let me ask you this. So you've got, you've got a young person who's beginning to get involved in leadership in the church. They don't have the opportunity to become a part of Compass Bible Institute. They live somewhere else. How do you advise them to grow in order to become more effective in leadership? Yeah, I would say this. You need to be fully present and fully engaged in all three areas of what you should be doing in church. And just in terms of how you're there, you're supposed to attend, right? At worship services, Bible studies, your chairs are next to each other. You're looking at someone who's feeding you and worship leaders, and you are, you're taking it. Be fully engaged in that, yeah. okay? And then you're supposed to be engaged in chairs face-to-face, right? We are supposed to have interaction. You can't, you've got to be known. Right, and, and think of the distinction between how many people come to a church service and then how many people don't involve themselves in something where their chairs are face-to-face in small groups. Yeah. And if you think about that, that disparity is like people aren't even moving from being a perceiver of what's happening to someone engaging and edifying and sharpening iron and all those things. And then there's one more aspect of church. you got to get up out of your chair and do ministry. Now, if all I'm focused on is I want to find the place where I can get out of my chair and help the church, but you're not fully engaged in your small group body life of the church or in receiving what's going on in the exposition of the word and the worship of the of the assembled congregation, I think you're, you're going to be messed up. Some people just think, I'm just here to lead. I'm just here to be a leader. And I'm saying, be a full-blown engaged congregant, be a full-blown engaged small group participant, and be a a zealous worker for the Lord. If you can be fully there for all three parts of that, I think you're going to thrive. 
you're yeah. going to do well. Let me also just say, you, you didn't just describe a future pastor or a leader in the church. You described what a church member, period, should be. And I know you know because we live in Southern California. Uh, I know this is a global issue, but especially in Southern California, there's so many churches in which people want to go to consume, right? Yep. They want the sermon to serve them. They want the worship music to be entertaining, and they want to go and have no responsibility, get their cup of coffee, be entertained for 45 minutes to an hour and then leave. And what you just described is what's called church membership, being a family, being known and knowing others. And let me add one aspect I didn't mention and pastors don't like to mention it, but to be fully engaged when our chairs are side by side, there's something in that service that involves us giving our offerings to the Lord. Right? And, and those people, those are usually the people, if you were to look up, they're giving. They're, they're not even sacrificially involved in giving to the church. Sure. Right? Giving is one of the corporate congregation things that we do. And, and it's funny how the more we're fully participating in congregational life, small group life, then when we stand up to do ministry, it's just an outgrowth of that. Yeah. And some guys who stand up to do ministry are like, you need to be doing more of that. You need to get more <laughs> hours to that. We need to train you to do this full time. Well, even if you're doing it full time, you're in a small group. You're yep. in congregation life. You're, you're experiencing preaching and giving and singing. It's just, it, that's what life's all about. And if you happen to say, they're identifying giftedness to where when I get out of my chair to do ministry, uh, it's good and they want more of it, great. You just, you, I guess they start paying you to do it. But it's just, that's just Christian life. Yeah. No. And let me just say, because I think sometimes really quickly here, when we talk about this idea of what it means to be a church member, it can sound something like you're not doing enough. But also, yes, but also, let me poise it a little bit differently. We're inviting you into something you were designed to participate in. You were saved out of anonymity into community to experience the glory of God, the love of God, and the love of other people. This is the thing that our souls desire. So many of us live lonely, unfulfilled lives, and God has called us into the local church community to experience his glory and th the goodness of our yeah, I thought we were created to sit on a couch and thumb through <laughs> reels on Instagram, no? That too. Oh, apparently. Oh. It's both and. Oh, is it? Or oh, pastor, okay. come on. No, but think about our culture so <laughs> absorbed in these these like solitary things. Yeah. Just to get people to think, I'm supposed to be a part of a, a, a community. And people are supposed to know me. If I ask the average man in particular, who really knows you? No, really, who knows you? Who are your friends? Right? Most guys don't even have an answer to that. Today. <laughs> it's time for us to, to, to get you, like you just said, to get more of us to see this is the purpose of our lives. Yeah. Right? Not just our church responsibilities. This is why we were created. You're right. Yeah. Good line. Well, you know, I, I think that what churches often desire, they're not willing to invest in producing and they want to circumnavigate the process that it takes to get to a place where there's that real kind of health and vibrancy and effectiveness in the church. Well, that takes a lot of investment in terms of time and effort and unpopular elements that aren't a part of the consumer church that we have today. And so it delights me to see that you guys are doing that at Compass. So let me ask you this, Pastor Mike, what would you say are the biggest pitfalls for leaders in the church? Well, I guess we've touched on one, I should at least say. There's a lot of guys that are involved in church vocationally that shouldn't be. Some people have said about church planning, and that's I do a lot of church planning. They say um, it's easy to start a church. It's hard to kill one, right? Yeah. It's easy to have a, a, you know, a birthing party, but hard to have a funeral for a church. Some guys need to say, this isn't what I should be doing. Yeah, I, I do think that's a that's that's a starter. But then the other thing is we find a culture where people think I think about this. I'm working for the weekend or I'm living for my retirement. If you don't have a good work ethic coming into church leadership, you're always looking for your Starbucks run or your walk with your dog in the afternoon. You're not going to be a good church leader. Paul talked about the spending and being expended for the souls of people. You got to love people. You got to care about people. It's not about you on a stage and you being a great preacher. It's ultimately about you helping people know Christ, conform to Christ, and that's just going to suck a lot of life out of you. You've got to be willing, and my pastoral ministries class I teach, I say, you've got to be willing to give up normal life. You cannot just expect to whatever you envisioned your life when you were 12, you thought, here's what adult life is like. you got to give that up because yeah. we're going to serve 
we're going to enter our rest when we get past this life. Right now, we're going to work. And I think a, a good, solid, it came up at some point, a good, solid Protestant work ethic that says we need to give, I rest to work. I don't work to rest, right? I'm engaging in sleep so I can wake up and do what I'm supposed to do the next day. I don't work so that I can get to bed. The, the reality of our our problem in leadership is so often we, we've got lazy leaders. Yeah. And, and ministry life, here's the liability. You don't have someone looking over your shoulder and saying, here's what you should be doing at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Thursday. Here's what you ought to be doing at, at 10 o'clock on Tuesday morning. You have to be self-governed, self-disciplined, and a self-starter, particularly a lot of guys that might be listening to this podcast that are in a small church, right? They don't even have the accountability of a staff around them in the office. It's like, we've got to be workers. You've got to be disciplined. You can't be distracted. And, and we're so easily distracted. How long is the attention span of people today? What was that? Right. They didn't. <laughs> yeah. They they even gotten. They haven't even gotten this far in the podcast. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so the bottom line is, we, we need to change the way we look at what ministry is. Ministries work. When I started working as a kid, my dad. When I said, Dad, I want to go get a job, and I was young, he said, Well, just remember this, son. Once you start working, you're never going to stop. And he said, Number two, work is work. And as long as you know that, right, work is work. And I thought that's, that was a good bit of advice from my blue-collar father. If you're not ready to work, certainly don't step into ministry. Because yeah. there's, there's a pitfall there of thinking that you make your own schedule. You know, most people think that I'm golfing, you know, from Sunday to Sunday anyway, right? <laughs> and and, and you, it's a lot of work to do the work of ministry. I think guys need to step up and know that they're called to do it and that they're ready to put in the, well, the hours. yeah, you know, and a lot of times you get these young guys that basically have the perspective of, you know what, I'm just not good at anything else. I might as well go into ministry. Yikes. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> what a tragedy. Yeah. But you see that. I've yeah. seen that in yeah, young people true. where it's like, oh, man, I think I'm called to serve the Lord. Well, how are you doing at work? How many jobs have you been fired from? Right, right. right. How, how's your attention? record been? Yeah, there's this sort of lax attitude when it comes to ministry. I mean, you look at what Paul endured for the sake of the gospel, you know, <laughs> being shipwrecked and, and beaten with rods and stoned. And and so, th- there is that perspective of, oh, cool, I get to, you know, be a pastor, do my own schedule, like you said, get my latte, go for my afternoon walk. But but ministry is sacrificial service. It's foot washing. Yeah. It, it's cleaning up messes. It's dealing with the messy issues of people's lives. And if you're not spiritually fit, you're in big trouble. And so that leads to my next question. Well, actually, I want, I want you to answer the question because, Easy, you've been involved with church planning. You've been involved with discipling. You care deeply about the young men at your church. What are the pitfalls you see? I think that's a really valuable question. I'd love to hear you answer yeah. it. Well, I think one of the biggest pitfalls is pride. And it, it can almost sound cliche, right? I mean, that's the, the typical go-to answer. But pride in its deceptive forms that leads to destruction, the pride that is unwilling to receive correction from those that you're leading, as an example. Mm. I think the greatest leaders are those who have the non-negotiable attitude when it comes to who it is that can speak correction into my life. And the leaders that have blessed me most are those that I've seen demonstrate that humility toward their congregants, toward their wives, toward their children, when they come and approach them with something that isn't necessarily pleasant about themselves that they don't want to look at or think about. So I think, I think pride is, is one of the biggest destructive factors. And then I think another element too could be believing the lies of others and the lies of, of the enemy. Because obviously we all know that discouragement is one of the biggest destructive elements in ministry. You know, when you're not focused on what Scripture says. And I think, which leads to the question I was going to ask Mike, I think perhaps one of the most overlooked pitfalls is a leader that does not have a vibrant, thriving, devotional, and prayer life. Amen. I think honestly, that, that, that's what I want to know. I, I've always said that prayer is the barometer that really shows where we're at spiritually because it's the most difficult discipline, I believe, and it's the one that, that demonstrates the greatest degree of faith because we're, we're sitting alone with our thoughts racing, with a thousand things we have to do, speaking into the air to a God that we can't see and whose voice we can't hear and whose presence we can't feel. I think that's huge. Mike, how do you encourage leaders to maintain that vibrant spiritual dynamic in their lives of prayer and devotion. Yeah, and and that's the difficulty, I think, of everything in the Christian life. It's going against the traffic of my flesh 
Mm. right? Even standing up and saying sin is sin and this is righteous, that's going to be hard in terms of my popularity. But then I think about sitting down and reading books in a world of people that want to, you know, thumb through social media. That's hard for people to do. It's like just to have a linear time of reading a book for an hour. Who does that anymore? Mm. And now I'm going to say, now, no longer do you stop reading the book. Now I've got to, like you said, I've got an unscripted time of talking to God and pouring out my heart. before. It's increasingly difficult. That's why the pinnacle of difficulty is not even just your Bible reading. It is your prayer life. So all I can say is you got to do the hard stuff and the hard stuff is making time for this. It's not like you throw in your prayer time or your study time in the Bible. Before you ever get to Christian books, uh, you throw it in with the gaps in your schedule. You've got to schedule it. It's got to be patterned. It's like going to the gym, right? Your body doesn't want to do it, but you're going to have to learn to do it and discipline yourself to do it. And I like to say you need to have a place. You need to have a time. You need to have that place, uh, you know, secured to where you're not getting interrupted. You got to turn your phone off and you got to spend time focused on what you're there to do. And for my life, and I tell people this, it's not in the Bible, although I think there's hints of it in the Bible. You better have some things that you're regularly praying through. I say, you got to have a prayer list. Amen. Because I think it helps keep us on track. It's like, you know, reading a book, it keeps me on track because there's words there to follow. And in my prayer life, at least I want to go subject by subject through things. The top thing on my prayer list every morning, which I kind of hate, you know, in my flesh, is like I have First John 1, 9 there, like sin. If I confess it, God forgives. What Mike Fabars, what have you done? What is yeah. your sin today? And and I know sometimes I want to get into praying for this project or that thing or this sermon, but to start even with stuff like that, and it's a topic, I have to cover it. Okay, now I have to think. I've got to be introspective. I've got to pray Psalm 139, search me, try me, know my heart, see if there's any evil way in me. Those are the things that a prayer list will do for you. Amen. It keeps you moving from thought to thought with God and saying, okay, God, here's what you want. You want me to agree with you about my sin. Yeah. Now you want me to pray about the people in my life and in my staff and in my team. Mm-hmm. You just got, you need lists, I yeah. think. That's okay. great. I love that because as pastors, you've got to wear a lot of hats. You've got to be an entrepreneur in a way in regards to you got to know the finances and plan for the future. You've got to be a leader of leaders raising up other guys. You've got to be the guy that takes all the phone call and counsel people through depression and death and everything that goes on out there. All of this bombardment, plus being able to understand what's going on in the culture and and, and the pressures of the world as a pastor. If we are not pointing our hearts back to Christ, we will lose a sense of our calling and the reason why we do what we do. And so ultimately what you're talking about is a prayer life, a time in God's word that points our own hearts back to the gospel because it does not matter how good of an entrepreneur you are. It does not matter how good of a counselor you are. If your heart isn't pointing to Christ, you're headed towards failure. And let me add a phrase to that that makes it even harder to differentiate. And that is, you can be a great teacher of biblical truths. Right. Right. And and I think if you're keen to discerning it, you can tell sometimes, this guy knows Bible. He's throwing Bible out. Right. But I I wonder where he's at with God because I don't even sense that this is for a person. Right. Yeah. And, And so... It, it is. You can do a lot of Christian work. And, and Richard Baxter, you seem like you're familiar with yeah. some of these Puritans, just in talking in that book called The Reformed Pastor, which is not about theology, but about having a heart that's reformed, he has a section in there just even about, are you sure you're even a Christian? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, that's just so good. Well, you know, Mike, you and I are connected to someone very dear to both of us, Todd Friel. Yeah. And your son, John, was a part of uh, Road Trip to Truth, and now you are, which we're so excited about. Todd Friel is one of those guys who was studying to become a pastor. He was in seminary and realized one day he wasn't saved. Right, yeah. And so that that's so essential and so key to do that self-examination. I've known others as well. There's another guy that I was mentoring. He came to me and said, hey, I'm going to start a church. And, uh, you know, I'm so excited that the foundations for the church, that our, our main core values are going to be uh, f- friendship, fellowship, fitness, finance. You're all, and failure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, Houston, uh, we got a problem. And by God's grace, and I started giving this guy some good stuff. He, he started listening, reading, and then he realized he wasn't saved and now is, has a sound church. And so another element that I think is, is a massive, massive danger is pastors that don't have accountability. Yeah. Yeah. And so how would you advise the Christian leader who wants to be effective to, to have healthy accountability, what does that look like? Yeah, and you talk about Pastor Kellen. He's going to do a whole thing this summer on that, men finding accountability. Yeah. And, and you know, you just have to be honest. I like to put it this way. you got to learn to think on yourself. 
Like, you know, you've got to have guys in your life that you are, that you trust. Because there is a sense of trust in this, right? If you told your accountability partner stuff that he got on a stage and, and yacked, you know, it, yeah. it, there's bells you, that are hard to unring even if they're not disqualifying, sure. right? So you, you have to have guys that you feel like you trust. And I find that even the guys that you work with who know what pastoral ministry is become a great cadre of guys that you feel like you can walk through life with. Yeah. You know, they know where you are. They know what you're doing. You, you have that sense of, of even living life so closely together that you you have a sense of op- openness and transparency that's with. Great. I think that's key. Yeah. I think just to add to that, also you need guys around you that aren't impressed with you. And what I mean by that is that it could be so easy where you grow, gather together yes men that think you're the think you're the best pastor, the best teacher, think that you're whatever the case, and they become afraid to call you out, to challenge you, to, to co-disciple alongside of you. And so to have guys around you that aren't impressed by who you are, but rather know you and love you and love what God is doing in your heart is really important. Two things will help that. One is having guys that are with you for a long time. Yeah. And you watch some leaders, they rotate their, your number two, number three, four guy, they just keep moving yeah. every two years. So I think having long-term associates is helpful because then that kind of helps get the veneer of you're amazing. And then secondly, that you're really bringing your team into decisions, mm. right? I mean, we meet every single week as leaders and we're, we're making decisions together. Often I'm the last one to weigh in on a topic because I want to hear what everybody says. And, and, and I know there's got to be a Timothy in Ephesus that's leading other elders, but I just think you've got to show them that you really want their input and decisions are made together with uh-huh. a plurality of pastoral elders. And yeah. I think that that's key. And when you do that, it, then it keeps this distance, this kind of back to the laity right. clergy. Now it's the associate senior right. distinction, and we can't have that. We need to make decisions together, and we need guys that we've been in the trenches with for, for years and years. Yeah, cool. and, and I think a huge uh, important element on the part of the leader is intentionality and cultivating approachability. And it's one thing to give lip service to that. Hey, call me on anything you know that, that you see in my life and point it out. But to act approachable when you are approached is going to perpetuate the potential for your fellow leaders to speak into your life. But if you bristle the second they bring something up, if you're defensive, if you're a, a rights defender rather than a truth seeker, as it's been said, it's not going to happen. You're going to intimidate your leaders, and, and you're going to do yourself a disservice in the church, a disservice in the and, huge And way. before a lot of people listen to this podcast and go, yeah, my pastor needs to be more of that, every guy who says that, we need to ask, even as you put earlier, Easy, within your family. That's good. Right? Yeah. Good do, do people approach you and think you don't bristle when right. you say, Dad, you shouldn't have done that? Or, yeah. or honey, did you? do we really need to spend that money on that TV? I no, mean, so most good. people bristle by just the nature of thinking, I made a decision, I own it, and now you're telling me it wasn't right? That's right. hard to do. Yeah. So you've got to give some grace to your pastor that he may take a deep breath when you say, Pastor, why did we do that? Why did you have that guy in the pulpit? Why did we do whatever we did here? And, 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 and I think we all should have a bottom line commitment to that. Yeah. And yet, it's not as easy as someone's going to say when they're looking at someone else's life, like, my pastor needs to be more approachable. I want us to be approachable. And in my heart, that's my commitment. Yeah. But that's a tough thing. That's yeah, good. For sure. Mike, it sounds like you have a confession to make. How big is your TV and why was your wife upset about it? <laughs> you know what? I'm glad you said that. I looked at my TV the other day and said, honey, we've had this TV for so many years. I bought it as a demo at Best Buy. I think, honey, at some point, I think we should buy a new TV. So I'm glad you brought that wow. up because currently I have an old TV yeah. that I bought off of a, off the wall of Best Buy and Mission Viejo. So you know what? I'm doing all right in that department. <laughs> all right, all right. Sounds like Oscar's been spying in on your life. <laughs> Oscar's Pastor. trying to go for it. Yeah. All right. I have another question. We're going to start drawing no clothes here. But we talked about busyness. Oscar mentioned all the things you have on your plate as a pastor. You talked about the importance of not being lazy as a pastor and, and, and grinding and working hard. But how do you advise leaders on striking that balance, especially when it comes to family, especially those that have younger children, yeah. those that have maybe wives that, that are struggling in being a pastor's wife? I right. mean, we oftentimes overlook that. When I first got married, I, I was an associate pastor, and my wife you know, suddenly became an associate pastor's wife, and that wasn't her world. And so how do leaders strike that balance? Yes, busy, hard work doing all of that, but at the same time, not neglecting your primary ministry. Yeah. And this is 1 Corinthians 7, right? If you didn't have a spouse, you could be more effective in ministry. That's Paul's argument. And he even advocates for it. If you can do it, do it. 
So once you become a husband, you know you've immediately sacrificed some level of fruitfulness in your ministry. And I've heard a lot of people put flowery language, oh, I'm more effective. Frankly, biblically, you're, you're not. I mean, I would sleep on my couch at the office and get more done, right. write more books. So we, we have to realize we're sacrificing part of our fruitfulness for this for sanity, because most of us that are gifted to be married, we would be insane if we weren't married. Yeah. So we need to be married, those of us that are called to that. But balance, I want to make sure that we don't use that word as an excuse to say, I, I'm going to be at every soccer game. I'm going to, you know, picnic with my wife every Saturday. It's like my wife knows. And, and if you have a wife that's gifted to ministry, that she loves the church, she's ready to sacrifice for the church. When we get a call at 11 o'clock and somebody's got a gun to their head and needs the pastor to talk them off a ledge, right. you know, she's going to go, okay, you got to go. Right. And, and so you need a wife that's willing to sacrifice like you're willing to sacrifice for the church. And your kids, and here's the bread and butter, I think, of, of real pastoral ministry is that your PKs, your pastor's kids, aren't resentful of the yeah. church. Can you train your kids to say, I'm not at every Little League game, uh, and dad misses a lot of stuff, but you still see your kids fall in love with the church Mm. because you've somehow in your household shown that this is important, really more important than your Little League game, even though I'm all for it and I'll be at the games I can be at. So balance can't be a Norman Rockwell experience of I have a perfect balance between my marriage and my parenting and my church and counseling and books and conferences. You can't. Uh, But... I do think if you've lost your kids in the process, uh, something's wrong. And so the real goal is I want my kids to grow up and learn that what I love, the church, is what your mom loves, the church, and I want you to love the church. And and by God's grace, at least in my life for the present, you know, my my two sons are pastors and my daughter wants to find a pastor to marry and she loves ministry. And I feel like that warms my heart as an answer to my prayers because that's been my prayer. Our Mm. kids get, get dragged along to a lot of stuff through the years and missed a lot of stuff. And dad says, oh, I got to make a stop at the hospital before we go home. And they're sitting there you know, watching some guy with a bandage on his head going, I'd rather be at home watching TV. But they learn to love the church. If you go at it with the right. And this is why I say the table talk at dinner cannot be how much you hate your job. <laughs> you you got to love your job and love the people that, right. you're, that you're called to love. Like the average guy coming home from the office going, I can't. He unloads on all the negatives of his job. Pastoral ministry, you can't do that. And you shouldn't do it. It's the bride of Christ. I don't want to complain about the bride of Christ. Does it have warts and wrinkles? It's got plenty. My job is to do what I can to iron them out. And, And so I want my family to love the church. And I think that's the goal. But it won't be traditional balance in terms of everything's idyllic and you make every little league game because you won't. But I I love that, you know, intentionality and training, like you talked about, how you convey to your children, this is what we're doing. This is what it's all about. And I'm glad you said that because I've seen the pendulum swing to the other end of things. You know, it's like, hey, we we, got to make sure the kids always feel that we're there and we're at everything. But you're not teaching them really the realities of what the Christian life looks like, not just in ministry, but in life in general, right? You have those divine interruptions all the time. And if you have this attitude of, well, these are the important things, this is the agenda, you're going to be ineffective in huge ways. Well, There's Mike, also, real quickly, the opportunity to invite your kids along to serving alongside you rather than yeah. leaving them behind. And so as I go and care for this person in need, I get to invite my kids into praying for those people. As those prayers get answered, I come home and let them know how God is listening to their prayers. And so your kids, as a pastor, we have an opportunity to help them see the role that they have in what God is doing in the local church rather than than treating them like a speed bump to the job that I want to go and do right. about yeah. them. Good point. Yeah, and, and you can also again, go to the other extreme and saying yes to everything when you really should be saying no to certain things. So your kids also need to see that, yeah, you were invited to go speak at this event that you'd love to go speak at, and maybe it's a great opportunity for whatever, but you're looking at priorities. You're you're also, you're evaluating. It's not just this sort of standard approach, but you're, you're stepping back, thinking outside of the box and evaluating where have things been at in this season of our lives as a family? Where are my kids at right now? What's my wife going through? And that helps us, I think, filter out what we need to say no to when we need to say no to them. So, Excellent. Mike, as we wrap up real quick, I want you to touch on a few of the things that you're doing. You know, one of the things that I love, and I think this was your doctoral dissertation, if, if I remember, partners, 
Is that what it's called, Partners? Partners is our one-on-one discipleship program. I wrote it as a project for my master's degree oh, at your Talbot. Master's. Yeah. Okay, got it. So, I mean, this thing thrills me because my cousin Nancy, as I said earlier, who's a part of your church, has taken so many women through this. I mean, I'll talk to her. Yeah, I'm taking this other lady yeah. through Partners. Yeah. Tell us about that real quick. And then I know you wrote a new book. It's it's not out yet, but it will be called Envy. Yeah. I'd like you to talk about that, Focal Point, whatever else you guys have going on. Yeah, and Partners is great because it's not the material that's great. That sounded very, you know, egotistic. It's the greatest <laughs> book ever written by me. Yeah. Uh, no, it's it, it's just basic stuff about the Christian life. Like, uh, do, do I make sure I'm a Christian? Do I know the gospel? Yeah. How do I study the Bible? How do I pray? How do I share my faith? Just basics. But the magic of it, if I can enlist that word, is that you're, you're forced to one-on-one sit across the table from someone and talk these issues through. Yeah. There's a lot of questions in it that we go over. There's deeper studies in the margins. It's just... Forcing people to sit down and talk about the spiritual aspects of our Christian life. And to me, I could do that on a three by five card because the real value in it is getting face to face with people and talking about their spiritual lives. So it's just a guided method of how to do that. And it's available. A lot of churches around the country are starting to pick it up in terms of their their discipleship programs. I think it's helpful. Writing a book on Envy, I just finished it. It's at the publisher now, and it's getting typeset. I'm excited about this. Let me ask you a question real quick on that, because Envy is one of those hidden sins, right? Like, everybody knows that it's a sin, but nobody realizes that they're probably struggling Mm. with it. Everybody knows when they lie. Everyone knows when they steal. Everybody knows when they look with lust. But often, people don't realize how envious their hearts are. So how important is it? What is Envy, how important is it for us to be able to see that we struggle with that? And how does the book help? And you've said it so well because I've, I've had a lot of people confess stealing and lust and, and lying. I've had no one come in and say, Pastor, you got to pray for me. Uh, I, I'm confessing my sin of envy, yeah. right? I mean, maybe it's been done, but I've been in ministry for decades. I've never had anybody say that. Well, it's Jerry Bridges, right? Respectable sins. Respectable <laughs> sins. Sins we tolerate. I yeah. went to the series on that. Sins we tolerate. Uh, so, Here's the thing. Envy in the early church, uh, and if you look at the first five centuries of the church, a lot of sermons about envy because they saw it and they began to categorize it as one of the deadly sins. They call it a capital sin. And that is a sin that the other sins all find their root in. So envy was one of those sins. And they said envy is the cause of a hundred lesser sins. So we got to deal with the root. And so I started looking around, where are the books today written on envy? And, And the way this book started was because I sat through a series of meetings through the week, and especially in the middle of my week is when I deal with staff members and and ministry problems. And I started really identifying in one afternoon how many of the meetings I was having really based on someone envying someone else. Mm. And I I took a little, you know, sticky note and I said, this is a good book idea. I happened to be at a conference and I had a publisher that I'd worked with before say, hey, you thinking of writing any books? I go, no, you know, because I don't really enjoy the writing process. I was like, no. And he said, you got no books on your heart? I said, no. And then I felt bad because I realized just a week ago I'd written on this note, we need a book on envy. So I, I came back to him and said, well, I guess there was one I was thinking of. And I told him. And then the thing started, the message started. And he got on his phone and he started looking this publisher about books on it. said, we don't have, he said, you got to write this book. Wow. And so then that set me on sitting down and laying out an outline for the book and writing it. But the book is all about the secret areas of your life where you envy. And it goes back to the 10th commandment, which is really the fuel for envy, because envy is not covetousness. But the 10th commandment not to covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's house, his, his property, his, his workers, all of that is the seed of it. When I'm really, as, as Dr. Moeller says, hankering for something I don't have, it's that now it starts to fuel my resentment for you when you have it. Yeah. Now I don't like you because you have what I don't have. So, you know, Cain kills Abel. And really, when you think about that, this sin of envy was because here his brother had what he, what he wanted and he didn't get. And of course, you know the story. God says, hey, sin's crouching at the door. He just got to master it. He, he didn't master it, mm-hmm. right? Envy mastered him. Yeah. And then and another thing that got me thinking about this, when you look at Christ uh, standing before Pilate, Pilate says, I know that they've delivered you over out of envy. I thought, dude, Jesus was crucified for this sin. Where are the books about this sin problem that people have? 
So I sat down and wrote one, and I will say there's another one out there, but it was mostly written toward women and body image and all that, which is fine. But I thought there's not a, a more muscular book about any man could read it and go, I see envy in my life. So I wrote this book on envy. Half of it is about the problem. Half of it is about the solution. And it's coming out by Moody Publishing here in a couple months. But oh, uh, I hope that it might be helpful to some people. Yeah, well, Oscar really, really needs that book. Here we go. So Actually, I was just about to say, you're inviting me to confess something, and I confess it to my pastor uh, this last Sunday because we were we're going through the book of Genesis. And in preparation for this last Sunday, I was just, I read the chapter over and over again that we're in, and I'm looking at the verses that we're going to be going through. In the back of my mind, I'm like, man, these verses are ripe. I wish I got this sermon. This should be my sermon. Like, I would have so much fun with sermon. <laughs> and by the time my pastor's preaching, there is a, minute, a moment of repentance where by the end of the sermon, I'm like, this is his sermon. Yeah. I'm so glad he's the one preaching this sermon, you know. But that that can be rooted in envy anytime. Absolutely. Ultimately, it's a, a lack of understanding of stewardship that God has entrusted you with your portion yeah. and he's entrusted others with their portion. Yeah, I think oftentimes envy can be the firstborn child of discontentment. Right, exactly. Know? And and that's that's the other thing that we need we need a book on big time. Well, there are, there have been some great ones from from writers of old, but yeah, Mike, you know, there was a lady at our church who just got baptized this past Sunday. She was in her 70s. And I was so deeply moved because what ended up bringing her to faith and repentance was her sudden realization of her big problem of envy. Mm. And she specifically highlighted that. You you rarely hear that Yeah, you rarely hear it. Yeah. But it was so refreshing. She That's suddenly great. realized, I'm an envious person. How do I... How do I get this cured? All right, I need Christ. You right. Know? So that's great. So that's exciting. Tell us about Focal Point real quick and uh, what you got going on with that and everything else at the church, where people can find Compass, yeah. website, all that stuff. Yeah. Focal Point is our preaching that we put out on about uh, eight or 900 stations across the country. We're on XM, uh, Sirius Satellite Network, and it just takes the verse-by-verse exposition and broadcasts it. And it's been a great thing to, to hear people talk about how it's changed their lives. You know, I had a guy call in, say he was about to kill himself. He went and parked his truck in a remote area to get in his glove box, pulled his revolver out, turned on the radio to find a last song wow. to, to go out on, and oh, he hears man. me preaching. Wow. And, and it, you know, so here's a physical life saved, yeah. and then he becomes a Christian and writes us about his new life in Christ. And I think, okay, that's something that never would have happened were it not, humanly speaking, for a guy coming to me years ago and saying, uh, 25 years ago, hey, do you mind if we take what you've said and, and, and get it on this local radio station? Mm. And I'm like, okay, I guess, if it doesn't hurt the church. And so <laughs> that's what Focal Point's all about. It's being broadcast in a lot of places. And uh, you can go to Focal Point ministries.org, or I like to go to fpr.org, or if you're listening to this, you can't remember that, remember who I was talking, Pastor Mike. Go to pastormike.com. Yeah. That'll take you to our radio ministry and kind of show you there's lots of free resources there. And our church is is compasschurch.org, and we're in South Orange County, the heart of South Orange County in Aliso Viejo. And then if you want to hear about the Institute, compassbibleinstitute.org, uh, you can find all of the, uh, the programs that we have, certifications we have, and things you can do with our training center. That's great. Well, Mike, thanks for coming on. This has been a real delight. I mean, honestly, for Absolutely. Oscar and I, this has been fellowship, right? We plan to sit down and do a podcast, but it's been fellowship. I'm edified, encouraged. Good. So I, I'm excited to go to the Adult Bible Fellowship and speak for, yes, uh, with, you're coming. with Kellen. I'm really excited That's about good. that. And friends, if you live anywhere near the area and you're looking for a solid church that teaches expositionally, that is focused on the call to evangelize and to uh, proclaim Christ and to live out the Christian faith, Compass Bible Church is a church for you, so make sure to check it out. Thanks for coming on with us, Mike. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. All right. Bless you. And now you know, Mike Fabares. Oscar, that was one of the really refreshing ones for us. All eh. of them were. No, eh. yeah. Eh. yeah we, call, know, we, we talked about that afterwards and, and just discussed that how, how refreshing it was. I mean, hearing the heart of a pastor. Yeah. And, Towards other pastors. Yeah. And the importance on the value of pastoral ministry and the importance of, of guarding your heart as pastors and leaders and, and what we can do to, to continue to be refined and grow. Yeah. Ray, you did, you're a pastor three and a half years at Number Tribulation. Yeah, three and a half years. Loved it. Love. Loved it being over. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, right? When you fit into where the Lord has you. and Yeah, well, I, I love what John Wesley said. If he preached to the same people every week, he'd drive them and himself crazy. And that's mm. exactly how, how I felt. 
Yeah. And yet you pastors, say the same you say the same joke twice from a pulpit and you're senile as no. far as the congregation is concerned. You said that, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yet pastors who are in that role love it. You know, it's calling. Mark, you and I pastored for a number of years together. What a joy now to, to take what God did in us in that season and use it here in leadership at Living Waters. I mean, we still get to do that. We get to preach and speak still in different places. Yeah, you know, and I do stand amazed when I listen to my pastor prepare a new sermon week after week I after know. week that mm-hmm. continually grips me yeah. and uh, my family. Yeah, yeah. Uh, home runs. Yeah, if you, if friends, if you're in the area and you're looking for a church, kindredchurch.org, that's where we fellowship. Or if you're in Oscar's area, King's Cross, kx.church, and yeah. then, of course... Mike's Church. Yeah. And uh, compass.org, I think, or compasschurch.org. Compass and, and then uh, cross also point, Cross Point. Beach is where I go. Where, cross where, Point HB. Yeah, we've got uh, Pastor Bruce coming in to the studio for a podcast. Yeah, we're excited to have them. All right, friends, we hope you enjoyed that with our brother, Mike Fabares. Don't forget to check out Tough Questions DVD course, Evidence Study Bible and Living Waters podcast mug, all at livingwaters.com. And don't forget to comment and all that good stuff and send us emails at podcastlivingwaters.com. Give us ratings and all that good stuff. I said that. I'm saying it again. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, friends. We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters podcast, where Ray, Mark, and Oscar have no idea what they are doing. Mostly true. Winners, winners, winners. That's you, friends. Those of you who I'm about to announce are the winners of this week's podcast giveaway on the Living Waters podcast. We've got Carlos from Lamont, California, Daniel from Jamestown, North Carolina, Ed Washburn from Tennessee, David Norwood from North Carolina, Doug Campobello from South Carolina, Ali from Falls Church, Virginia, Adrian from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Joshua from Excelsior Springs, Missouri, Eva from Bow Island, Canada, and Penelope from Bardwell Park, Australia. Shout out to the Aussies and the Canadians out there. Friends, you can get this too, those of you who are listening. Just share the word and sign up for the Living Waters podcast.